UTC right after the international news. South Sudan in focus on the Voice of America. I'm John Tanza in Washington working on this program very remote. Here are some of the top stories making news across South Sudan this Thursday, December 1st, 2022. President Salva Kiir says the international community should lift the arms embargo imposed on South Sudan. I am joining you today in calling upon the UN system to lift this unjustified restriction on our ability to purchase arms. And South Sudan's HIV and AIDS Commission says more than 8,000 people died of HIV in the country in 2021. In 2021, South Sudan reported an estimated 17,000 new infections. The HIV epidemic is across the country with various levels of transmission. We'll have these stories and more coming up on South Sudan in Focus. President Salva Kiir has renewed calls for the international community to remove arms embargo imposed on South Sudan. The United Nations Security Council in May approved a resolution to extend the arms embargo against South Sudan for one more year and renewed targeted sanctions, travel bans and asset freezes on certain South Sudanese individuals and entities. Speaking during the final session of the 6th Governors Forum in Juba yesterday, Mr. Kir urged those supporting international sanctions against South Sudan to consider external threats to the world's youngest country. For VOA News, Deng Deng reports from Juba. At the final session of the 6th Governors Forum in Juba, President Salva Kiir repeated his calls for the international community to remove the United Nations arms embargo. Kiir says the international community should lift the restrictions so South Sudan can equip the recently graduated necessary unified forces. In the interest of stopping this deliberate attempt to weaken our country, I am joining you today in calling upon the UN system to lift these unjustified restrictions on our ability to purchase arms. In May, the United Nations Security Council extended the arms embargo for one year. It also renewed targeted sanctions, trouble bans, and asset freezes on certain South Sudanese individuals and entities. Speaking to the governors Wednesday evening, President Kiir said despite the challenges posed by the arms embargo, the parties to the revitalized peace agreement have done their best to implement the agreement's security arrangements. We have now graduated the first phase of the necessary unified forces. This is a major milestone. Even though we have graduated these forces with the sticks, it happened so because some of us were working against us. And so we did not have any choice but to pass out the trained forces with their sticks. The former charge their affairs at the U.S. Embassy in Juba, David Rance, said in June that the problem in South Sudan is not a shortage of weapons for the military because there are many arms in the hands of civilians and militias. 
Rand said the position of the U.S. government has been that the arms embargo stays in place until South Sudan's leaders complete the transition to a democratically elected government by fully implementing the revitalized agreement. On Wednesday, Kiru hedged those who support what he called an unjustified arms embargo and international sanctions against South Sudan to reconsider their position. To those who are supporting this uh, stance, please do not forget that we are not immune to external threats. Let us not allow our narrow internal political interests to push us on the path of weakening our country. We need arms to defend our country from external aggression. Whenever such danger arises, Kir says communal violence in some parts of the country threatens to reverse the gain made by the parties to the revitalized peace agreement. He mentioned the conflict among the Ngogdinka of Abia and Twi communities of Warap, as well as violence among communities in the greater Upper Nile. Kir called on state governors and chief administrators to help the central government address intercommunal violence. Last week, Barnaba Marial, South Sudan's presidential affairs minister, said the government suspended its participation in peace talks with holdout opposition group in Italy. The president said he called off the Rome talks because the rebels fail to show sincerity in honoring the commitments they have signed. Just this past week, we were preparing to go to Rome for negotiations. Instead of creating a favorable environment for the resumption of the peace talks, they laid an ambush on Juba-Nimile Highway. That killed three civilians. These acts have shown that the whole out groups are using the Rome talks as a cover to prepare for military solution. I have called off the Rome talks until when we get a positive response from the rebels. President Kir further said the doors still are open for talks with the holdout opposition groups, saying the government has invited the Sant Egidio community that is mediating between the government and the holdout groups to the country for further consultation. For VOA News, I am Deng Guiding in Juba. Still in Juba, the Norwegian embassy in South Sudan is donating $9 million to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization to fight food shortages in South Sudan. Meshak Malo, the FAO country representative in South Sudan, says the money is to fund a project covering humanitarian development and peace-building initiatives. For VOA News, Juliana Shiapai reports from Juba. The Norwegian ambassador to South Sudan, Lincoln Berryman, says agriculture and food security is top on the development agenda for her government. She says that a long-standing partnership with the Food and Agriculture Organization is intended to provide sustainability and transformative solutions to the food insecurity problems in South Sudan. The agreement that we have just signed will promote climate-smart agriculture, strengthen the food production value chain and increase smallholders' resilience. 
At the same time, we note that the causes underlying food insecurity in South Sudan are numerous and overlapping. Significant among these is ongoing conflict, which disrupts and prevents food production activities. South Sudan is very fertile, with huge potential to be a regional food basket. The $9 million project draws on a concept of linking humanitarian development and peace-building initiative that features both emergency and resilience activities. Mishak Malo, the FAO country representative in South Sudan, says his organization will train farmers to reduce post-harvest crop loss during transport, handling and storage. This project is going to be in a, in a number of, of states that we've uh, selected, including, for instance, in areas that are even having uh, refugees like, uh, like Maban. Uh, the type of uh, support is mostly going to be in two main areas. One is livelihood support that uh, mostly entails uh, seeds and tools. And secondly, it's going to contribute in a big way on livestock vaccination and treatment because livestock is a very important asset for the people of South Sudan. Malo says the project will support 360,000 people with emergency livelihood and resilience activity and will help vaccinate 1.5 million animals. Yeah, for the vaccination, we've uh, selected particularly areas of Upper Nile and uh, our selection has been based because we, we cover countrywide. We've looked at uh, those areas of uh, Upper Nile and Jongle in which we have significant numbers of, uh, of livestock and they contribute also when you look at the food security situation in those areas. The FAO chief says some states in South Sudan are in their need of capacity building for government employees. Yeah, uh, when we look at the, the states such as uh, Upper Nile where we're going to work, capacity building of those state government, of the state officials to be able to work with us even to deliver services is, is very important. Uh, just yesterday we had a, a small delivery of 13 computers to all the director generals, but some of them did not have the skill to utilize these computers. So we're going to be running short courses to be able to bring them into e-literacy. FAO has yet to identify local partners for the new project. Malo says the organization will issue a call for partners to work with in early 2023. For VOA News, I am Juliana Shapai in Juba. Still on food security, African countries have been urged to include food security, climate change mitigation and adaptation in their economic agenda. The topic was discussed at a conference in Nairobi where governments across the continent focused on protecting private investments and recovering health infrastructure, education and nutrition as a way of reviving growth after multiple shocks. Moreno Giambo reports. Recovery measures dominated the conversation during the 57th biannual African Economies Research Conference, a three-day meeting that ended on Wednesday. Participants urged governments to develop, regulate, and even protect the markets as part of economic recovery. Kenya's Cabinet Secretary for National Treasury and Economic Planning, Jugunandungu, challenged researchers to focus on resolutions that include the mobilization of domestic resources and the use of digital technologies in Africa's recovery plans. He says Africa's economic recovery can be accelerated with collaborative research that focuses on inviting investment. 
And also back home in the Horn of Africa is the drought situation which has become extremely, extremely pervasive. We need to consider food security and climate change in the midst of our development agenda. We have to look at what issues do we need to look at in terms of mitigation and adaptation and creating appropriate resilience. In the last two decades, African economies have endured multiple global shocks. The chairperson of African Economies Research Conference Board, Anis Tayete, says the COVID-19 pandemic together with the war in Ukraine and the climate-related shocks could take years for the economy to recover. We live in an Africa where almost every country is struggling, reeling from these new shocks. Apart from these uh, global shocks that uh, we are getting accustomed to, almost every single country in the region has its own fair share of uh, local shocks, some of it driven by local politics, some of it driven by various other things like ethnicity and other things. So managing an African economy at this time is one of the most difficult things. On the other hand, African Economies Research Conference Acting Executive Director Theophil Azomaho says the economic fundamentals of most African economies have not changed much over the last three decades despite new challenges. This is a literal recovery from multiple shocks indeed, both internally and externally. Externally because COVID-19 came knocking and the economy literally slowed down. Most of our programs were affected. This outbreak of the COVID-19 pandemic did not destroy us, but made us much stronger and innovative by adopting digital transformation in all our research and training programs. The participants of the conference, which brought together high-level policymakers, researchers, economists, academics, and non-state actors agreed on the urgent need for lasting solutions to boost Africa's economies. Reporting for viewers, I am Moreno Giambo in Sacramento, California. You're listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. Coming up, South Sudan's HIV and AIDS Commission says more than 8,000 people died of HIV in the country. Find out how after the break. What do you think? People speak out on important questions. The question today... Is there something about yourself that you would like to change? Definitely not. <laughs> no, because at least I know my life has been good. I've not been entertaining bad company. So to maybe to change my life, I need to start making at least new friends again. Life is all about learning. We learn every day. So in as much as we are still breathing, there are things we need to shed off. Currently, I would like to change my tummy. I'm growing a pot belly. So I'm exercising. I've bought an abdomen machine that's helping me to deal with it. And I want to lose weight, probably five, eight kilos. What do you think? A daily discussion of important questions from VOA. 
You are listening to South Sudan in Focus on the Voice of America. The East African community has proposed extending the deadline again for a single currency to 2031. This follows the failures of member states to implement the protocol which calls for the use of a single currency by 2024. Moses Javier Imana reports from Arusha. <laughs> This is the East African Community Anthem during the celebration marking 23 years since the community was revived after its collapse in 1977. However, seven member states of the East African Community have still not implemented the laws and protocols including the call for a monetary union. The measure was signed in November 2013 with a deadline set for 2024. Peter Matuki is the East African Community Secretary General. There's a lot of push from the citizens of East Africa, from the business community, that they need a common currency. And if you listen to our leaders recently, they've been pushing for this. So it is our commitment that we are going to put in place this process of uh, having common currency almost immediately with the view to have this common currency working possibly in the next three years maximum. Since the signing of the Monetary Union Protocol by the East African Community Heads of State Summit nine years ago, no institution has yet been put in place. And the regional technocrats have proposed the Council of Ministers to extend the deadline until 2031. Ezekiel Nibigira is the Burundi Minister for East African Affairs and the Chairman of the Council of Ministers. Reaching the monetary union, it requires a number of steps. The council is working hard so that we reach every milestone we have. But you understand that in our community, we have to go together, we have to work together. Each step we have to make, we need to sit down and uh, have a compromise on every step we have to make. The Monetary Union is the third pillar of the East African Committee's integration process after the Customs Union and the Common Market Protocol. Experts in the region say that the Monetary Union faces uphill struggle for adoption. The protocol is expected to heighten an era of fiscal and financial integration and build the necessities required by the partner states to maintain the macroeconomic convergence criteria, which most of the partner states are yet to meet. George Odong is the East African Legislative Assembly lawmaker from Uganda. There has been really a lot of time spent on, uh, on certain decisions, uh, protracted discussions around uh, those very important uh, decisions that usually delay the implementation of our commitments. For as long as we continue with the idea that everybody must be on board and also to just get held hostage by narrow uh, national interests, then we fail the objective of our regional integration. Many development experts welcome a monetary union and the use of one currency to boost intra-regional trade. Moses Aviarimana, VOA Africa, Arusha, Tanzania. South Sudan's HIV and AIDS Commission says more than 8,000 people died of HIV AIDS in South Sudan in 2021. The commission revealed the figure today as South Sudan joined the rest of the world to mark World AIDS Day. Some people living with HIV AIDS in South Sudan say many of them could be dying from suspected side effects of some of the ARVs. For VOA News, Manyang David Mayar reports from Juba. 
as South Sudan commemorates World AIDS Day. Health Minister Yolanda Wilding says HIV AIDS remains a public health concern in the country, with two people testing positive out of every 100 tests conducted. An estimated 1,073,000 people living positive with HIV virus. In 2021, South Sudan reported an estimated 17,000 new infections. The HIV epidemic is across the country with various levels of transmission. The highest is in Western Equatoria, Lake and Unity State, to the lowest transmission in Wara and Upper Nile. The minister says many people don't know their HIV status. She encourages South Sudanese to test to help curb the transmission of the virus and protect their families. Despite the health ministry's effort to end HIV transmission, Awil says government funding and support remains a challenge. Health sector in South Sudan is undermined, it is underfunded, and we are just leaving it to the well wishes. We cannot leave our health to somebody else to take care of it. Our health is security. Our health is our property. Our health is peace and stability. I appeal to everybody, fund Ministry of Health, fund all health sector in the country. The United States Ambassador to South Sudan, Michael Jonathan Idler, says the U.S. Embassy in South Sudan has invested millions of dollars in the country's HIV and AIDS services. Since 2006, the U.S. Embassy in South Sudan has invested close to $325 million in supporting South Sudan's response to HIV-AIDS. In partnership with the Global Fund and the South Sudanese government, over 50,000 people living with HIV-AIDS are now receiving antiretroviral treatment. The PEPFAR program continues to support the facilities to take care of over 85% of those South Sudanese living with HIV. Idela says the effort aims to end new HIV infections by 2030. Idela says only about 30% of HIV-positive South Sudanese are on life-saving antiretroviral or ARV drugs to suppress the virus. Evelyn Matthew, from the network of people living with HIV-AIDS, says several of her colleagues suffer from additional underlying conditions that aren't treated, which complicate treatment. Another problem, she says, is that some patients using antiretroviral drugs develop dangerous side effects. According to the reports from South Sudan AIDS Commission, in 2021 alone, 8,000 people estimated to have died due to AIDS-related complications. It's important to realize that we, the persons, live aging on treatment. Many of us are suffering and have developed high blood pressure, heart disease, diabetes, kidney disease, failure to surprise the viral load, mental health, and many continue to pass away in silence. In the United States, the National Institute of Health says HIV patients often suffer kidney disease or they have underlying issues that can affect the kidneys such as diabetes.
What's more, the National Institute of Health says some ARVs drugs can affect the kidneys. The U.S. agency says doctors and patients need to be aware of the risk and treat any problems. Matthew calls on the government and South Sudanese communities to support people living with HIV-AIDS, including funding for HIV-AIDS programs. South Sudan's vice president in charge of the service cluster, Hossein Abdelbagiayi, says the government is working on increasing the health sector budget, including for HIV-AIDS. The government of South Sudan under the leadership of His Excellency, Selva Kirmayadis, is determined to increase the annual budget allocated to the health sectors in accordance with the international and regional standard in order to reduce over independent dependent on our international health partners in funding the activities of the health sector in general and HIV and AIDS Commission in particular. This year's World's AIDS Day global theme is Equalize, a call to advocate for ending inequality in support for people living with HIV-AIDS. Dr. Fabian Nenzako, the country representative for the World Health Organization, says ending inequalities is possible. The inequalities that perpetuate the AIDS pandemic are not inevitable. We can tackle them. But urgent action is required now to put South Sudan on the world back track to end AIDS as a public health threat by 2030. Therefore, equalize the theme of the World AIDS Day this year is appropriate. It calls for each one of us to do all what we can to address the inequalities that are holding back progress in ending AIDS. Denzako says 61% of 170,000 South Sudanese living with HIV AIDS are women. For VOA News, I'm Anyang David Mayor in Juba. South Sudan in Focus is now on WhatsApp. Send us a message on plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. Tell us what's happening in your area or give us your feedback on the stories you hear on South Sudan in Focus. We look forward to hearing from you on WhatsApp. That number again, plus one two zero two six three zero eight zero one one. And that's all we prepared for you this Thursday. Don't forget to check out voaafrica.com for all your favorite programs and news updates. If you miss this broadcast, go to www.voaafrica.com forward slash South Sudan. We now leave you with the song Shauriyako by Super Mazembe.
We have been listening to Super Mazembe and the song Shoriako. I'm your host, John Tanza in Washington. Thanks for taking time to be with us. Remember to join us tomorrow for another edition of South Sudan in Focus from the Voice of America. Say no.